The Daily Rios, episode 356 for Batman Day 2016. Hey everyone, this is Peter. Saturday, September 17th, third annual Batman Day, which began as part of the character's 75th anniversary. What did you do to celebrate, if anything? I decided to dive into my collection and yank from my drawer boxes the Batman-related comics that I have left from all of my various eBay purgings over the past, oh, 14, 15 years or so. In general... Unlike, say, solo titles like Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, or definitely the Titans, the Legion, the Bat franchise, and also Superman and the X-Men, those titles never really last long in my collection. When I used to go hardcore eBay, Batman was a character that would always sell. Someone always wanted a Batman lot, a Batman story arc, Elseworlds, tales, trades, etc., You could move Batman comics there for a while. So because of Batman Day, it made me think, what's left? What did I keep? And why? I know it's not much. I barely collected detective comics over the years, and with the Batman title, it was always stop and start depending on the creative team, or the story arc, or some big event. Now look, I I like Batman. I, I certainly keep track of his major stories, And with a character as iconic as he is, it's not hard to know what's going on in the Batman universe if you're not exactly a loyal reader. You know, between friends, trade magazines, websites, podcasts, even the way DC treats the characters, where they will spill over any major consequence from his title into their entire line, such as No Man's Land, Nightfall, etc., You really do know more or less what's going on without having to be an active participant. I have to imagine it's very similar to people who don't exactly want to read Wolverine or Punisher, but they can get get them from the larger Marvel Universe. So the need to stay continuous with Batman, it really wasn't ever there. I could follow him on a casual level and uh, still know what was going on. Rummaging through my collection to gather all of my Batman books is very easy. Now, for any of my OCD or anal retentive listeners out there, this may cause some agita because all of my Batman comics are under B for Batman, duh. So, Batman, Detective Comics, Batman Inc., Shadow of the Bat, Legends of the Dark Knight, all under B. If I collect a Batman-centric comic... It more or less just goes in chronological order, all in one part of my collection. I do it for Superman as well. Action, Man of Steel, Adventures of Superman, all under S for Superman. (laughs) Except for Superman Batman. You know, the Jeff Loeb, Ed McGinnis run. That goes under W for World's Finest Comics. Don't ask. Anyway, I grabbed up my pile of Batman comics and I picked out a few of the standouts. I started collecting Batman of my own accord with issue 364 from 1983. It's a cover uh, with Batman standing against a yellow background with all these faces, and he's saying, who is he? What is he? And then on the bottom it says, the Chimera. I was 10 years old. I'm usually good about keeping the first issues of titles, but I no longer have this issue, so 
one of these days I'll have to get a replacement copy. This was the Doug Munch era with gorgeous Don Newton art and Alfred Alcala on inks. Dick Grayson was over with the Titans at this point. Jason Todd has only been around for about eight months or a handful of appearances. He hasn't yet become Robin in any way or shape or form yet. This is this is all pre-crisis. Uh, Batman has left the Justice League. He started his run with the Outsiders. Alfred has just discovered that he has a daughter named Julia. Killer Croc has only been around for less than a year. This is all getting close to the end of Bronze Age Batman era stuff. Now, I would stick with both Batman and Detective from this era beyond Crisis until around Millennium. And then I got out of comics for two, three years or so. And one of the story arcs that would bring me back into comics in 1990, 1991 was A Lonely Place of Dying and the introduction of Tim Drake. Now, I would eventually get uh, A Death in the Family and Batman Year Three, but I wouldn't stick around with Batman for any long period of time. It was all just random issues, single issues, little story arcs, things like The War of the Gods tie-in or Destroyer from uh, the multiple Batman titles where they changed Gotham's look to match the Tim Burton version. Uh, There was Nightfall, of course, which I read maybe 30% of. Definitely Prodigal, which was Dick Grayson's time in the Cape and Cow, DC 1 million, barely any issues of No Man's Land. I would read the actual Cataclysm earthquake issue, and then there was that issue where Cassandra Cain becomes Batgirl. I tried a few issues of the Larry Hama Scott McDaniel run because Scott McDaniel had just been on Nightwing, but I didn't stick along with that at all. Uh, anniversary issues, as I said, 10 cent issues, totally missed Hush. Uh, and then got back in with Under the Hood and Jason Todd's return around the time of Infinite Crisis. And then from there, yeah, I was pretty much in with the Morrison run, uh, Batman and Robin, Batman Inc., all the way through New 52, all the Scott Snyder stuff, and now with DC Rebirth and Tom King. So even with all of that and Elseworlds and specials and trades, I really am just left with a small pile of Batman comics for one reason or another that I doubt I'll ever part with. And a lot of the ones I'm going to talk about are uh, prior to, you know, sort of like 1990. Because after that, you know, like as I said, it's all just sort of one-off kind of stuff. Nothing majorly important. Um, So we're going to start. And we're going to start with Batman 366 through 368. From cover date December 83 to February 84. Again, this is the Doug Munch era, Don Newton. And these three issues are the buildup to Jason Todd becoming Robin. So you had issue 366, where Batman is fighting the Joker in Mexico or South America. And Jason Todd decides to help. And he has orange red hair at this point, And he dyes his hair black. And he puts on a Robin costume. And he shows up, and Batman's totally surprised. Uh, and he's, you know, he says, I just wanted to help. So it's his first time in a Robin costume, but it's not technically his first time as Robin. Uh, and this is all under a Walt Simonson cover for this issue. And then 367, uh, Batman is going up against Poison Ivy, and he lets Jason come with him in a costume that has the same colors as Robin, but not the same design. It's a little more circusy. It's a little more gestury. And I want to say that 
Uh, it might be, I don't know, more of like an in-joke or something that the creators did. But they called him Wonder Boy, as in Robin the Boy Wonder. So instead of calling him Robin, they would call Jason Todd Wonder Boy. But I don't think they actually did it in the book. I think it was in the letter columns or in later articles or whatever. So Batman's going up against Poison Ivy, and he gets overwhelmed by these mud men. And in a moment of panic, calls for Jason, but doesn't say Jason. He says Robin. And Jason kind of takes takes that, uh, you know, as kind of like a little bit of a slight. He won't let him be Robin, and yet in his time of need, he called for Robin. So Jason was kind of put off by that, which leads to issue 368. And while Bruce and Jason are trying to come up with a new name for him, in walks Dick Grayson, hot off the heels of giving up his Robin identity in New Teen Titans, and Dick decides to give Jason Todd his Robin costume. It's very much like passing the torch. And in the issue, along with the cover, Jason Todd finally puts on the Robin costume again, and he becomes Robin. And it's a great Ed, Ed Hannigan, Dick Giordano cover. So the team of Batman and Robin, back again. All right, then we move to Detective Comics 533, cover dated December of 1983, also by Doug Munch, this time with art by Gene Colan, who was doing the art on Detective at this time. So there was a little bit of a story point where Harvey Bullock decides to play a prank on Gordon. Uh, the Batman books and the Detective book, books uh, crossed over, well, they went back and forth at this time. So he pulls this prank on Gordon with these springing snakes out of his desk and Gordon has a heart attack, a stroke or a heart attack, and he's in the hospital. So Barbara Gordon is visiting uh, because at this time, pre-crisis, she is his actual daughter. And she's kind of thinking back to her childhood, becoming Batgirl. Um, I'm not certain if he remembers that she is Batgirl or not. I don't remember. Um, anyway, uh, and there's a story point where I guess she used to be on the track team. And just whenever she would feel like giving up, she would just push ahead and run faster. So there are these criminals who decide to take advantage of Gordon being in the hospital. And they're going to go after him. And, of course, uh, Barbara Gordon has to run run faster and faster for his life, and she saves him. Uh, it's 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 a one-off story, but I, I always liked it, and it, for some reason, <laughs> hasn't left my collection, so I, I guess it never will at this point. Okay, then we get to Batman Special One from 1984. A brilliant story. This is by Mike W. Barr, Michael Golden, and inker Mike DiCarlo. Adrian Roy did the color art, Todd Klein did the lettering, and it's entitled The Player on the Other Side. So long before Prometheus in JLA, who was often looked at as the anti-Batman, Batman in this special has a counterpart that is his match in every way, and he's a man called The Wrath. So the origin goes, at the same time when Bruce Wayne's wealthy, prominent parents were being gunned down by Joe Chill on their night out uh, with Bruce, the child who would grow up to be the assassin known as Wrath watched his parents die because they were both thieves. And as they were climbing out of somebody's house, uh, they got involved in a shootout during, during the burglary with a rookie beat cop named James Gordon. 
So the lives of these two orphans, eerily similar, kind of flip-flopped, a little mirrored. Um, you know, they, they go down the same paths. And just as Bruce Wayne felt a need to avenge his parents as the Batman against criminals, this unnamed youth decided he would go and avenge his parents as the Wrath uh, against law enforcement, and he would design a costume that was similar to Batman, uh, and instead of pointed ears like a like the Batman has, the Wrath has pointed ears as well, because on his face is the letter W, so the endpoints kind of make the same ears like Batman has. So again, this whole mirror counterpoint thing going on. It's the anniversary of his parents' death. He's going after Commissioner Gordon, so again, of course he goes up against Batman, and there's a clash of ideologies, mentally and physically, uh, and it all wraps up back to where the story begins, in a very interesting way, and it's just spectacular. I love it. It's written well, it's beautifully drawn by Michael Golden, and it may very well be the first comic I ever read with his artwork, all under a cover that could easily be included in the Mazzucchelli run of covers for Born Again. I don't think it's ever been reprinted, which is a shame. You might be able to find it on Comixology. It is so, so good. And even though it is a one-off, The Wrath gets an entry in Who's Who, which is kind of amazing for a one-off character. And then he was eventually wiped away in the crisis. Now, however... He does show up again, or at least the identity shows up again, in 2008 in Batman Confidential 13 through 16 by Tony Bedard, Rags Morales, and Mark Farmer. It's not the same man under the mask. I've never read this issue, or these issues. I really need to, because it's so great. I feel it's so great that they went back to that story again. And I have to imagine, you know, Tony Bedard must have been a fan um, to bring the character back. So... I have to get those issues so I can catch up on, uh, uh, you know, like a final appearance of The Wrath. So, yep, that Batman special I will always keep in my collection. It is that damn good. All right, then we go to the first of many anniversary issues, but pretty much the only one I'm going to talk about, Batman 400 from 1986. I love anniversary issues. This one has a beautiful cover by Bill Sienkiewicz, who also does some of the interiors. In fact, the whole story is done by a multitude of artists like Brian Bolin, Joe Kubert, Steve Lytle. Uh, it has an introduction by Stephen King. George Perez does artwork. And I'll always remember this issue because my friends and I at the time, about we just, just about lost our minds because Art Adams does DC work. And he does some pages in this comic, uh, a bunch of stuff with some of the villains, and it just looks so beautiful. So yeah, I'll always keep this issue. And I also have the Nat Rat issue that spoofs it, which is pretty funny. Um, speaking of anniversary issues, Detective Comics 572 from 1987 is the 50th anniversary of the Detective Comics title. And it features a story with Batman, Elongated Man, Slam Bradley, and Sherlock Holmes, which is kind of fun. Uh, Slam Bradley hadn't been seen since 1941. A few reprints here and there, but this was the first time that he appeared in a new story. It was the first time I ever read uh, who he was. And it's probably the first time I, I learned that Detective Comics, you know, obviously Detective Comics didn't start with Batman, but that Slam Bradley was a character in the Detective Comics 
um, from the Golden Age. So this, this is a fun issue, uh, especially if you like Sherlock Holmes, you should get this issue. And then an, another Detective Comics issue, 574, cover date of May 1987. So this one is sort of weird trying to figure out where it belongs because it's right at the end of Batman Year One. It's post-crisis, but the Jason Todd that's featured in here and the Batman origin that's retold here feels a little bit more pre-crisis than it does post-crisis. Um, so Batman comes to Leslie Tompkins because Jason Todd has been injured and she scolds him for taking on, you know, uh, a new Robin. And he thinks back, he thinks back to his origin tale. Um, Leslie Tompkins was also in the Batman special. And although she had been appearing since 1976, this is probably, uh, you know, the first or second time I ever read uh, a Leslie Tompkins story. Um, but, you know, she was always a great character, and of course she shows up in Gotham. Um, what I like about this, it has uh, a Mike W. Barr story, but Alan Davis artwork, who also was doing stuff on Batman and the Outsiders. It is beautifully drawn. It's an interesting story, as I said, because the elements, the post-crisis, pre-crisis elements, or I guess I really should say the post-year one, pre-year one kind of storytelling makes it feel like it's in limbo, kind of like kind of like Superman was between the end of Crisis and before John Byrne started, you know. It's a little bit out of sync, um, especially if you consider the, the next month's Batman comic, which I'm going to talk about, Batman 508, uh, 408, which is cover dated June 87, a month later, that's technically credited as the first appearance of the post-crisis Jason Todd. So this is by Max Allen Collins. Chris Warner does the artwork, Mike DiCarlo on inks. This was preceded by a DC house ad that said, Will Robin die tonight? With an image of Robin uh, hanging upside down, strung up by his ankles, and somebody holding a gun. It opens with a Batman-Robin tale against Joker, and Robin gets shot, falls over the side of a building, and as I said, ha he's hanging there. And in this kind of weird, <laughs> weird sequence, Batman's like, are you going to be okay because I need to fight crime? And Robin's like, sure, you know. But of course he's not okay, and uh, Batman takes Dick Grayson to the hospital and finally decides to end the Batman and Robin relationship, and he more or less fires him. He fires Dick Grayson. And this is a little bit of a sticking point with me because I'm sure I'm going to talk about this on The Tower, but I feel like this retcon of how the Batman and Robin team ends um, takes away some of the strength of Dick Grayson's journey to becoming Nightwing. Uh, you know, it's no longer that he grew out of the shadow of Batman and that he grew on his own and then suddenly had this realization that he just couldn't be uh, part of Batman and Robin. So, uh, you know, and then eventually he becomes Nightwing. In this retelling, it's really, you know, the team ends because Batman says it's ending and Robin feels lost and sort of aimless because he was fired and basically kicked out from the superhero, you know, uh, business, more or less. I don't know. Something about giving the decision more to Batman 
then Dick Grayson never set set well with me. I, even though I, I have this issue and, and it's sort of a standout issue, um, I don't like that point at all. So, you know, a couple weeks go by, maybe a couple months, and there's no Robin. And Batman is patrolling some area and goes back to his Batman, Batmobile and his front two tires are gone. And this is how we get introduced to Jason Todd because he rips off Batman's tires, which should be impossible if you ask me. But anyway, um, so there's something about it that Batman finds interesting about the about this version of Jason Todd, who is rougher and who is a, a hothead and, um, you know. He's not the Jason Todd aerialist from Pre-Crisis. So Batman sends him to the Ma Gun School for Boys, which, of course, is a front for raising criminals, and Batman doesn't know this, which is dumb. But, uh, yeah, and then from there, eventually, he will become the new Robin. So first appearance of Jason Todd post-Crisis, um, the delineation of what exactly happened between Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. It's an important issue, even if I don't necessarily agree with the reasons behind it. Which leads us to Batman 414, which is dated December 87, in a story called Victims by Jim Starlin and Jim Aparo, one of my favorite Batman uh, artists. And in this one... So Bruce Wayne meets uh, an impressive social worker, and then she's later murdered, and it really hits him. So he tries to avenge her murder, tries to figure out who did it, and there's a serial killer on the loose. So he finds the serial killer, or he finds who he thinks was the killer of this woman, but because of his personal feelings, he kind of did some shoddy detective work, and Another body winds up in an alleyway and they realize uh, that the killer is still out there and Batman realizes that, you know, he made a mistake along the way and it kind of leaves him at the end frustrated and shameful. It's a it's a pretty good one off. It's uh, a little bit forced here and there, but I, I enjoyed it. And for some reason, I always kept it. And then Batman 416, also by Starlin and Oparo. Uh, now, this is where. This is kind of the post-crisis version of Batman 368, where Dick Grayson uh, comes to Jason Todd and gives him his Robin costume, kind of like passing the torch. Um, but again, not in a way where Robin necessarily feels good about it, um, because prior to giving him the costume, Dick and Bruce Wayne have a confrontation where where Dick wants to know, why did you fire me? And why, if you did fire me and you were worried about uh, a 19-year-old getting injured, why did you create create and, and hire a new Robin that's even younger? So, uh, and then all Batman says is, after, after Dick Grayson manages to get the truth out of him, he says, I was lonely and I missed you and um, felt like I needed a Robin. So I don't know, again... It puts all this decision-making stuff onto Batman, and I get it. He's he's Batman, but for me, uh, I, I don't like it. It feels weak. It makes Dick Grayson's journey weak, um, but it's a pretty important issue in Dick Grayson's life, um, and as I said, it's the post-crisis <laughs> uh, passing of the torch. Uh, between Dick Grayson and Jason Todd, who many people say that that never happened, that Dick doesn't necessarily sign off on Jason Todd. 
But it does. Maybe it does in a way that we don't like, but it, it really does happen. So that's where that pile ends. Um, as I said, there are later stories um, that I read. I, I went through the whole list earlier in the episode. But um, And while I have a few of those issues or trade collecting a certain storyline here or there, um, that's these are the issues that I feel like are kind of like the core Batman stuff that I will always keep. Now, I do have one more. It's from 2006. It's Batman Annual 25, and this is by Judd Winnick and Shane Davis. And this is right around the time of Infinite Crisis, and it details how Jason Todd came back to life because he was in the grave. And it shows that Superboy Prime was going on his punching spree and changing history throughout the DC Universe. Uh, And what we get is Jason Todd clawing his way out of his coffin. And he's more or less homeless for about a year. Eventually winds up in the hands of Talia al Ghul and Ra's al Ghul. And I think they want to make him an agent to go up against Batman. But Talia pushes him into a Lazarus pit. And that's how all of his memories rush back. And he realizes, because Talia puts this in his brain, that his death was never avenged. Batman never avenged his death. Um, You know, Jason Todd was killed by the Joker, and the Joker is still running around. So that's what puts him on a path to eventually confront uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman. Um, And it shows... It has a connection to the Hush storyline, and then eventually it ties it. It ties into the Under the Hood storyline as well, which I believe had already come out by this point. What I love about this issue, first of all, it's a great issue. I I thought it was one of the standout issues from around this time at DC. But what I love about it is it has the alternate version by Jim Aparo and Jim Starlin of Jason Todd's death. Uh, at the hands of Joker. So, you know, that great, I don't know, advertising ploy thing where they said, hey, if you want Jason Todd to live, call this number. If you want him to die, call this number. Well, of course, Jason Todd died. And there's that panel of Batman holding him, standing up in the issue, saying something like he's dead or whatever. But in this issue, it's all the alternate pages that I assume they also did, just in case it went the other way. And Batman is holding Jason Todd, and he says, he lives, and it's kind of like this alternate tale. It's so interesting. It's it's kind of like a historical nugget thrown into this annual, so I had to get it. Had to get it and, and had to keep it, you know, all these years later. So what I love about all of this stuff, all these Batman comics, I realize, first of all, it's a lot of 80s stuff because that's when I grew up. But secondly, it's a lot of Jason Todd stuff. So often on the Tower, on the Tower podcast, I'll talk about how a lot of my Dick Grayson reading comes from the New Teen Titans. So it's fascinating to me to see that a lot of my earliest Batman reading uh, featured Jason Todd as Robin. And... And that my Batman experience wasn't with Dick Grayson as Robin. It was with Jason Todd as Robin. Um, And Jason Todd's not particularly a favorite character of mine, but I just think it's interesting to know and and to kind of go through all these books and realize, oh, 
wow, you know, I was there, that whole Jason Todd coming up stuff and becoming Robin and uh, finding his own uh, path within the DC universe, and he's obviously still around to this day. Um, it's just interesting that I think that's probably why I like Dick Grayson so much, because my viewpoint of him is not through the Batman universe. I think that's why I'm so against that one issue. It's really because he, as I read him, he was his own person. And then Jason Todd, uh, you know, Jason Todd was the one that was, for me, the partner of Batman. I don't know. It's just all very kind of fascinating as I looked through it and came up with a summation of all these issues. Um, so I'm keeping them for one reason or another, but a lot of it has to do with the Robin concept. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. And that's probably why I enjoyed uh, the same thing happening with Tim Drake coming into the DC universe. And most of that was under Marv Wolfman with, uh, uh, you know, covers by George Perez and, you know, some, some crossovers into the new Titans stuff. So yeah, see, it all goes back to Titans eventually. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. That's, uh, that's what I wanted to talk about today. I thought that would be a nice way to talk about some Batman comics, uh, a little in depth, um, for Batman day. So let me know, again, what did you do about uh, Batman Day, if anything? Or uh, were you reading any of the Batman stuff at this time? Um, do you have that same sort of experience over the years where if you do get rid of a, some of your collection, do you hold on to certain issues? Um, because I certainly do. Um, yeah, so let me know. Peter at thedailyrios.com or leave a comment on the website. Uh, this has been The Daily Rios, episode 356 for Batman Day 2016. Bye.